What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay. And a huge thank you to everyone who supports this podcast, to our patrons, uh, to our BXP members and to our academates and to you, our listeners. Without you folks, it simply wouldn't be worth doing. So welcome one and all and a huge thank you. Mr. D, how are you today, sir? I'm doing absolutely lovely. I just, I, I always get really lifted this time of year with spring. I don't know what it is, but something about when it's a new cycle of life and we come out of hibernation and um, we start realizing just how much work there is to in the garden. <laughs> and then you start getting really stressed about the wheat. No, but I love it. I love this time of year. I feel, I feel slightly sad to come out of winter because it's that lovely kind of time when we're meant to be hibernating. But I'm, I, I've, yeah, well, since we moved to the country as well, because I'm very lucky, my writing desk looks right out to the garden. We've got a little bird box there where a family of blue tits go in and out every year, which is wonderful. And you see them darting about. I get a robin that comes right by my window. Um, and I've become a lot more attuned to the changing of the seasons, man. And it's, yeah, it's interesting. Right? It's, it's something you see. It's something you see in um, the Witches of Woodville books as well. It's I do a nature pass. It's one of the drafts mm. that I do. I go through and make sure I make a list of things that happen. So the books at the moment, one set in June, one set in July, one set in August. They follow one each other. And so I I, I sort of rummage through gardening books and things and look at what's what's happening and what's what, happening. What's, what nature is out there and so Brilliant. and things that i see you know so I, I do a little nature pass it's it's um speaking as someone who grew up in the concrete jungle of hornsey um <laughs> it's become quite a change for me so uh it's it's a nice thing well, a very nice it's thing. kind of interesting because i've moved from england to canada where our biggest problem were foxes and, and rabbits <laughs> bears <laughs> uh, and i sit in my studio in my garden I'm again very very blessed to be in this beautiful space um mountains and ocean and all this oh i, I sorry i don't want to but mm. you know what the biggest problem i have apart from I mean, you heard on the episode where I talked about a bear came yes. running past my studio, which absolutely freaked me out whilst I was on the phone to someone coaching. But the, the, my biggest challenge right now is I spent all last year fixing these tiny little holes in our deer fencing. Because deer, bless them, beautiful creatures, but over here, they're, they're everywhere and they eat everything, everything. And they can jump over like incredible fences. So the little rabbits chew a hole through the deer fencing and then the baby the baby deer get through the hole and make it bigger so the mummy and daddy deer can come in and then fill their boots so the funny thing is i'm doing these podcasts with you and i'm coaching people and and i'm looking out the window and i see this deer in the back garden and i'm like no 
And I want to kind of like stop the call and like chase this thing out of the garden. I've literally been chasing deer around. It's the most hilarious thing. No, they're, they're, they're vandals. Bambi. They're vandals. Bambi was they're alive. Beautiful. Bambi I, was I mean, the villain. I, I know, I know, I know that it's my fault that I'm pretending that I own this piece of beautiful mm. land and it's mine and I've put a fence around it and I yeah, own yeah. it because I have a flag. I know it's BS. I know mm. that we're in their space and I should be just lucky that they come and grace their presence. But it's still a pain in the butt when you've just planted all your seedlings and they're just sitting there with their little kind of fluffy bum pointing at you whilst you're doing a podcast and they're eating your bloody veggies and you can't run off and get them. Well, Cla- Claire's, Claire's become an expert rat catcher. She has this humane rat trap. Okay. Yeah. And they she'll put some um uh peanut butter in there. They love that. They go oh, in they snap. love a bit of peanut butter, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then that. she'll yeah. she'll drive them five miles up the road and drop them off uh on in a labor. Brilliant. And then uh, God, yeah, next day another one. Yeah, I know. That's that's a job for life, isn't it? But yeah. um yeah, rats. You got to love anyway. the rats. Welcome to you? the rat podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, nature's experiment <laughs> podcast. We're not going to talk about writing at all today. We're going to talk about all of our first world problems. Um, and <laughs> it, it's to anyone to anyone who loves nature. I always think back to our, um, a little tip that I heard of someone who goes out into nature to write their book by transcribing it and using all the sounds of nature and all the things they see to bring through the, the, the incredible kind of descriptions of what's out in the world. So that's the link, Mark. Get out into nature to, to really fill up the, the, the kind of context of your book and bring people into that world that you create. It's wonderful stuff. But we have we have the story to top all stories today, Mr. Stay. I do think this is one of the most oh, incredible stories we've ever had on this podcast. This this is I mean when we got the email from the author and I thought oh that looks interesting and I sort of you know you do it's one of these things when the email if it comes in at night and especially if it comes from the states or wherever it usually turns up at night I think oh that's interesting I'll read that in the morning and then you messaged me about ten minutes later said have you read this <laughs> <laughs> yeah. click on the link click went, on the link I went and did some delving yeah <laughs> unbelievable and, if the, yeah. This is it is a Hollywood story in itself, isn't it? Really, it is. Yes, we're going to the movies today, uh, which is a treat because I've been working really hard on new cast courses for the academy as well. So it's good to take a break. Um, but we're speaking to the author D. Eric Mikrans. Uh, Eric has had an incredible career up till now. He's been a foreign correspondent in Rome. He's translated for relief doctors in Nicaragua during a cholera epidemic. He was once forcibly expelled from the nation of Laos. Well, we've all been there, haven't we? Um, He's worked as a tour guide, a radio host, a bouncer, and as a Silicon Valley software executive. But his novel, his first novel, The Reincarnationist Papers, has been adapted into the Paramount Pictures movie Infinite, which stars. Now, sit down, sit down, listen to this cast, okay? Right. Mark Wahlberg, Rupert Friend, Jason Manzoukas, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Toby Jones, okay? So many of my favourite actors are in there. And directed by none other than Anton Fuqua, who made Training Day, which, as I say in the interview, is a bona fide classic. He's also did The Equaliser, the Magnificent Seven remake, which I loved. The film Infinite, based on Eric's book, is coming uh, September 24th, 2021, COVID permitting. Uh, His novel... Oprah magazine said it's it's on Oprah's list of the books to read in 2021 before they're the most popular movies. And that's a mouthful, that list. But that gives you an idea. This is that's the, the list you, we all want to be on, though, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> read it 
before the movie comes out so you can be one of the cool kids. Now, this is an inspirational story. And that's not, that's just the tip of the iceberg because yeah, we, we, Eric did something extraordinary to get his book on the big screen. But but more of that in the interview. Shall we jump in? Absolutely, folks. Strap in your seatbelts, make a <laughs> cup of tea or maybe something stronger and have a listen to this. This is me and Mark having a chat with the wonderful Eric Mycrans. Eric Mycrans, welcome to the bestseller experiment. How are you today, sir? I'm well. Thanks. Thank you, Mark. And thank you, Mark, for having me. Our absolute pleasure. Absolutely lovely to have you, Eric. And uh, we were just saying for people watching this on YouTube, you've, you've won the uh, 2021 uh, Best Background of the Year. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Excellent stuff. So, so, Eric, welcome to the podcast. We We have been chatting about you offline and you have the most incredible story which I think we have heard in terms of one of the biggest dreams that people have when it comes to writing a book um, and that is having it turned into a movie but tell us tell us about the story let's just hear the story from the beginning because it's absolutely mind-blowing okay perfect yeah so uh, the book is called the reincarnationist papers and it has been made into a Paramount movie. Uh, the movie's done. It's in the can. It should be uh, COVID permitting out in theaters uh, globally on September 24th. And the movie is called Infinite. It stars Mark Wahlberg, Chiwetel Ejiofor, Dylan O'Brien. Um, and that all sounds great. But this didn't just happen. Well, this, this actually did happen by accident. But there's a, there's an amazing story behind this. This book, The Reincarnationist Papers, was actually, I actually self-published this novel uh, over 10 years ago in 2009. And I took the book out to agents, to publishers, to try to get it published and, uh, you know, like a lot of first time novelists, it, um, you know, it, it, it was met with rejection. But I, I when I when I shared it with people and I shared it with readers, everybody loved the book. Everybody just raved about it and wanted to read more. And so I decided that I would trust my readers and I trusted my readers to actually become agents for me. And, but in order to do that, I had to actually take a bit of a risk. What I did, I borrowed a page from my day job. So my day job, I work in IT. So I've been in computer software and computer programming for, this will be my 20th year this year. And uh, one of the tricks that we can use in IT is called crowdsourcing. And that's where we define a goal and then we take all of the end users or the end customers and say, hey, we would like your help building X. Can you give us ideas? Can you test features of the software? Can you think of new things that we should put into it? And then we get those things back and then we build the next iteration. So some, some really common examples that people don't think about, but they're right, they're right in front of us every day, are Wikipedia is a crowdsourced uh, endeavor. Right. We all contribute to that. Another is uh, Linux operating system. Right. This isn't something that Oracle builds, that Microsoft builds. This is something that a bunch of individual you know, computer programmers build. Um, so what I did is I borrowed that crowdsourcing page and um, you know, I, I sort of married that with the idea of, well, if I wanted to get an agent, 
then I was willing to part with 10 to 15 to 20% of any, you know, advance or revenue on this right up front. So if, and if the agent's primary role is to make an introduction that makes a sale, then why can't I crowdsource all of my readers to do the same thing? So what I did, Mark, is I put a reward on the first page of the book. And the reward was, you know, hey, introduce, read this book. If you love this book, introduce this to a Hollywood producer that will get it made into a movie. Introduce it to a New York publisher who will give me a big publishing contract. And I will give you, the reader, the agent's commission. 10% of whatever the movie uh, you know, the movie premium is or the book advance is up to a cap of $10,000. And this sound, Mark, this sounds like the zaniest marketing scheme in the world, <laughs> right genius. up until it works. <laughs> and you know what? It works. It would have works, right? Eric looks like a genius. <laughs> and the thing is, Mark, it did work. So I put the reward on the front page. And, you know, my wife was like rolling her eyes. Like, oh, my God, really? This is such a zany idea. It's not going to work. But then I sent it out into the world. And I was getting like one or two emails a quarter. Hey, this is an interesting idea. You know, my brother's wife's cousin, you know, babysit for somebody at, at Sony Pictures, right? And I was like, <laughs> But then the real thing, the real breakthrough happened when on Thanksgiving Day 2010, I got an email out of the blue from this guy. And his name was Rafi, Rafi Crone. And Rafi said, hey, I just, I was, I'm in Nepal. I found your book <laughs> in a hostel in Nepal. And I just read it. And I loved it. And I saw your reward. Is your reward still available? And I said, yeah. And he's like, Dude, I, I work in Hollywood. This, this book is totally a movie. I will get this book made into a movie for you. And I was over the moon for about 24 to 48 hours. I'm like, this is it. This is my break. And then I sort of, you know, came back down to earth as I thought, yeah, you know, maybe this guy is a crank. Maybe this guy's, you know, not going to follow through. When he came back from Asia, he actually sent me a, a legal finder's agreement that was with the same terms as as the reward. Now, Rafi at that time was working as an assistant for a big Hollywood director who's directed uh, a lot, a few movies that I know that you've seen. Uh, don't really want to uh, drop the name uh, quite yet, but. And then Rafi said, uh, but at the time, you know, he was he was just getting started in the in the industry. Now he's actually the one of the executive producers on Infinite, and uh, you know, helps get a lot of things made that you see on TV, on Netflix, uh, on Amazon Prime, and uh, some of the movies that you see. And Rafi went to work, and Rafi and I collaborated on a treatment for the book. We collaborated on uh, on a beat sheet. Uh, to on uh, you know uh, to 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 sort of pitch studios, he took it out to Imagine Entertainment. He took it out to a couple of other studios. Uh, he took it to a couple of the really. He took it to Crackle early on, but when Crackle was just getting started, and you know these projects would sort of start a little bit and then they would fade away, and then eventually Rafi, uh, four years later got my first option with Bellevue Productions. 
And Bellevue hired a screenwriter to write an adaptation of it. His name is Ian Shore. He and I have uh, subsequently become friends. And then uh, Bellevue Productions took Ian Shore's Infinite screenplay out to Paramount, Sony, Universal, Warner, all the big studios. And Paramount came back same day and bought it in a preemptive bed, like right after lunch. And then boom. So that's the story. So it's this zany idea of putting a reward in the book, crowdsourcing your readers into an army of agents of which you only need one to be successful. And then they find it halfway around the world in Nepal. And then Rafi, God bless him. He's my champion, right? Worked tirelessly on this thing for seven years to get this thing placed at Paramount. That's the story. I I have so many questions, starting <laughs> starting in Nepal. I mean, what are the odds? I mean, A, how did your book get there? B, this is, you know, it, it's a book about reincarnation and the Dalai Lama is right over there. Uh, so uh, how on earth did your book get to Nepal? And it was just lying there on a shelf. I mean, what, what are the odds? I, I don't know. I, you know, if you've traveled, right, and sort of backpack trek traveled, right, you'll you'll see in hostels there are all these, you know, dog-eared, weathered books on the shelf that people don't want to carry in their pack anymore, and so they leave them behind. And it was like there on the shelf. So how random is that? <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. <laughs> the 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 Yeti's waiting for the audio book. I hear. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. What was what was the moment? Because it, it was obviously a long. It sounded like a long time before um, you actually kind of had someone like where Rafi showed up and and what was that moment when you actually realised this was for real? Because obviously I realised you know you said that you weren't hundred percent certain when you first when you first showed up, but when you actually realised realised this, was there a kind of a moment where you had to stand back from this all and think I can't believe this has actually happened? That's happened a couple of times. Uh, Mark. Uh, it happened at the beginning. And at the beginning was sort of like, I can't believe this zany idea actually worked, right? I can't believe that I actually I actually hooked the interest of an entertainment professional in Hollywood to actually read the book, like it, and want to champion it into wider release, right? I, I was just like, man, I can't believe this worked. And then this happened again when uh, you know, he said, oh, I'm taking it to, you know, I'm taking it to Ron Howard's company. And I'm like, no, there's no way. Right. And then, you know, and then he passed on it. And I was warned early on, and I'm sure Mark Stay knows this, right, that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a small, small, small fraction of these things that ever get to an option contract. And even the ones that get to an option contract, it's a very small percentage that ever get a director attached, that ever get an actor attached, that ever get principal shooting going, right? So uh, Rafi, God bless him, he tempered my enthusiasm the whole way. He's like, hey, this is great news, but... Every time it would be, but, you know, it's still a long shot, still a long shot. But Mark, this thing just kept clearing hurdle after hurdle after hurdle. And it actually hit a lot. It, it hit a few hurdles along the way before it actually got in the can at Paramount. I'd be interested to hear about that because the book was discussed. I'm looking at the. I've been looking and um, folks, check out Eric's website because uh, it's the, the whole story is, is right there. The book was discovered 
in Nepal, I believe, in 2010. Script was sold to Paramount in 2017. So seven years of development there, which sounds like a lot, but as you say, that's kind of average uh, for a movie. And then after that, once Paramount had bought it, you know, a, another couple of years of development. So there's a lot of uh, clinging on by your fingernails there, a lot of, you know, hope and faith that it's going to happen. Uh, wh- what were the ups and downs of those those seven years? So it was, um, you know, it was a lot of prayer on my part, honestly, right? I would just, uh, I would vi- I would try to visualize the book being adapted into a movie and being able to like walk on the red carpet at a premiere <laughs> and like seeing like, you know, my name and the book title and the credits, you know, imagining, you know, who would pr- play this role, who would play that role. Uh, and then, like I said, a lot of expectation setting with Rafi. Uh, as soon as it got picked up for an option at Bellevue, that was in 2014. Um, and, you know, they, they paid me, and they, this was actually a professional Hollywood company that paid me money for, you know, exclusive rights to my book and, and, and the check cleared. Right. So I'm like, oh, this is, this is starting to be real. <laughs> and that was, you know, I, I say that in jest, right? That was, that was John Zalzierny, who's been amazing throughout. He's the head of Bellevue Productions, and he's just been masterful in how he's negotiated this. But when, so, so when I got the option in 2014 with John at Bellevue, I thought, oh man, this thing could really be happening. And then they hired uh, uh, they hired Ian Shore to write the script. And the interesting thing, if you if you Google Ian Shore, he's actually he's actually written a, a, a quite a few uh, quite a few scripts. Uh, he's actually or you, Mark. You might be familiar. Mark Stay. You might be familiar. And Mark uh, Devoe. You might be familiar with something called the Hollywood Blacklist. Yeah, which yeah. is the you know that's not not the not the Trumbo blacklist from the fifties, but the <laughs> one where it's 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 the it's the the best scripts that don't get produced that year. Yeah, right, and yeah, that yeah. goes on to a list, and uh, so Infinite landed on the blacklist. Uh, Ian's script landed on the blacklist. Ian's had like four or five scripts on the blacklist. He's a really amazing writer. An interesting little side story here. Ian was actually on the short list of people to adapt the reincarnationist papers when it was at one of the studios previously and when the project fell through. So Ian mm. felt like he got a second bite at the apple because, and he loved the book. And so he jumped on it the second time and he's like, absolutely, I could nail this as a movie. And, and he, and he, and he took it and did it. But then right after uh, John Zalzierny uh, took Ian's script out to Paramount, uh, and it sold same day. They called me and I was actually at my desk at my IT day job at Oracle. And they said, hey, by the way, they're going to, you know, we sold it to Paramount. It looks like they're, you know, they want to make this movie. And it was just like, I, I remember, I remember I was on a conference call, but I wasn't speaking. I was listening. I had to put the conference call on hold because I knew on the, on, on my cell phone, right, that it would be John. And uh, so I took the message and he's like, hey, we did it. We sold it to Paramount. And I looked around at my office and I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> what am I doing here, right? I need to be, <laughs> I need to just hang up the phone, <laughs> close the door, take my files, go home and <laughs> start hammering out the next books in the series. But the thing is, this was sort of another, so this was a height, but then it hit a hurdle right after that because 
Paramount had uh, had an executive change at that time. They brought in a new CEO, and the new CEO said, "Oh, I want totally new ideas for everything that we had lined up." And so Infinite went right on the shelf. And John John told me, and he's like, "Hey, these bad things happen to us, right? You know, doesn't look like it's going to happen." But then uh, Lorenzo de Bonaventura, uh, the, the the Hollywood producer. Uh, who's actually the producer on Infinite, um, uh, has a partnership with Paramount, I think. Uh, and I think this is how this happened. Uh, I heard one version from John Zazerny, another version from Lorenzo, and I met him and I went, I went on set to see the movie being shot. And Lorenzo said that he brought in Antoine Fuqua to uh, pitch him on the next G.I. Joe movie in that franchise. And Antoine Fuqua, right, famous for you know Training Day, the Equalizer movies, uh, fantastic director. I just love his direction. I'll watch it. Brilliant, brilliant director. Training Day is a genuine bona fide classic. Yeah. It's it, yeah, it is such a classic. And I think I think I think the first Equalizer movie is too. Mm. Um, I mean, the, the way that he and Denzel just sort of bring that character up to a boil through the first act, where you know, I mean, there's there's hardly any violence in the in the first 20 25 minutes of the movie it's all character development which is so rare in a good action flick it really makes you care about the guy but anyway uh, uh lorenzo brought in antoine to pitch him on this movie and the way that i heard it is that antoine said hey yeah that's that's interesting that's really great but you and paramount have this other movie on the shelf called infinite that i would really be interested in about reincarnation. And so Antoine, because he'd seen her on the blacklist and ostensibly read the script, read Ian's script, basically resurrected the thing and took the thing off of the shelf at Paramount. And then with Lorenzo's backing, they got it going. And then then my, my emotions were back on the rise again. We were going to have <laughs> Chris Evans of Captain America fame in the lead role. And he was going to play my lead character. And then he bailed out and the project went way sideways. And they're like, hey, we almost made it, kid. Right. It's not, <laughs> not, not your night. <laughs> and then and then and then Mark Wahlberg stepped in and then it was a movie again. And then from there, uh, it, you know, they started filming in 2019. Thank God they got principal filming done before COVID hit. Uh, but then there were COVID delays with some of the post-production work. And so the movie was supposed to be out August 7th, 2020. That got delayed. It was supposed to be out on May 28th, 2021. That's got delayed. Now it's going to be out, God willing, on September 24th, uh, 2021. So, Mark, long answer, but there's a lot of emotion, a lot of roller coaster <laughs> ride in that for me. It's not. It's not for the faint of heart, is it, Eric? I was gonna say, if, there was, if there was a definition of someone being put through the ringer, yeah, you would be Eric. That's I know, quite, quite phenomenal. But, but the, you know, the, but if it wasn't for you know the Rafi Crones, the John Zalzernis, the Ian Shores, the the Hollywood professionals that really believed in the story, uh, you know, it, it it could have failed at any point along those curves, but didn't. Yeah, let's talk about the story because this this the fact that it has made it to this point is testament to how good the story is. And I'm really interested to hear about your journey with writing the book because before writing this book, am I correct in that you were you you you'd written a couple of travel guides? Yeah, I'd written a couple of travel guides. Uh, I'd written for uh, a newspaper here in the in the U.S. 
uh, the Denver Post. I'd done book reviews for them. And uh, I moved to Europe. I lived in Rome for two years. And when I was living in Rome, I would write, I'd write, I, I was working as a tour guide and I would do some foreign corresponding for newswires in the U.S. and newspapers in the U.S., um, but it was there that I actually ran into someone who wrote guidebooks for this publisher for cities in Germany. And they said, hey, you'd be perfect to write about Rome and Venice. So I wrote guidebooks for Rome and Venice for a publisher uh, out of Singapore. And uh, that was how uh, that was how I actually really started writing, Mark. And then, and then what led you to to want to write the book? Because it's always been a dream of yours to want to write a novel. Uh, it has been a dream uh, to 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 write uh, to write a novel and have it published, and then like the dream on top of the dream is to see it made into a movie, right? Yeah. But you know, I had this idea of uh, so so the book. I should probably give you sort of the elevator pitch blurb about the book. The book is about a a a young man, a troubled young man who lives in Los Angeles, who's haunted by memories of two past lives. But when I say haunted by memories, two past lives, I mean everything. He remembers the languages that he spoke then. He remembers all the skills that he learned. He remembers the relationships that he was in. Like total recall of everything that happened in those lives, just like we have memories of our lives now. Now, he thinks that he's actually very unique because of this condition. Until he accidentally stumbles upon another woman who's exactly like him. And then she sort of throws his world on edge because she introduces him into a secret society of others like them, of 28 people who have formed this secret society where they associate with one another over and over again, lifetime after lifetime. And these guys have been sort of secret drivers of history, uh, working towards some goal that we're not quite clear about yet. It's it's such a great High concept idea. Immediately, I'm thinking it's Jason Bourne meets the Da Vinci Code, and you even mentioned Total Recall there as well. You know, right. and and I'm just thinking it is such a great high concept idea. Were you, was it one of those things where did it just come to you in one go, or did you piece it together over time? Was there a kind of punch the air? I'm taking the rest of the day off moment. You know, <laughs> <laughs> so so it was it was it was a combination of two things with like a little sprinkling of a third thing in the end. So the first idea was, you know, and I think we've all thought this, right? Oh, my God, if I only knew then what I know now when I'm older, I would have made a different decision, a better decision. I would have, you know, I would have bought Amazon at 50 cents a share, right? (laughs) Or or Bitcoin at eight cents a piece, right? Um, And so I took that to to its illogical extreme. What would that be like if not only if you knew what at 20, what you know when you're 45 or 50, but what would happen if you knew at 20 what you could know from multiple lifetimes? What would that character be like? What would that life be like? And that was that was a really interesting set of characters for me to want to explore. And uh, so so that was that was thing one. Thing two is, and this gets a little metaphysical, but um, uh, not too much. I actually have three memories that don't belong to me. And 
like really super short memories. Um, Ian Shore categorized this really well one time. He called them memory shards. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't know what to do with them. They go back about 150 years. Uh, there are only three of them. They're, uh, you know, five or 10 seconds each, but they're as real as anything that I remember happening to me in my, in, you know, since I was a kid. And so I took that to its, to its, to its extreme as well and thought, well, what would happen if I could remember everything from that life, right? Every single thing, what would that be like? And then the melding of those two was the idea of the reincarnationists, right? These people that remember their past lives. And then after they've done that a couple of times would actually have confidence that they would come back again and again and again. Now, that confidence is actually critical because that actually removes a lot of their moral boundaries and a lot of their boundaries around physical danger. Because if you knew that you would come back again, you wouldn't worry about skydiving. You wouldn't worry about bungee jumping. Right. You wouldn't worry about, you know, about, you know, Mexican drug cartels. Uh, because you would be shot or killed or, you know, your parachute doesn't open, you could have confidence that, well, I'm going to remember being Mark's day and I'm going to remember the lies before that. And I'm going to come back again in a new body and I'll be able to, my consciousness will be able to continue. So it actually allows them to take more risk than normal characters, but in a realistic sense. And then also it allows them to have like the most libertine of lifestyles because there's really no consequence for anything that they would do that could go wrong in this life. It's absolutely fascinating, Eric, because, you know, for fans of this podcast that have been with us from day one, they'll know that I, I like to live in this world. <laughs> no, <not to laughs> you don't have to make any apologies when you're around, when you're around us. Um, but what, what I find really fascinating is when you've, I mean, we always talk about taking from your own experience, you know, put your own ex life experiences into, into your characters. And the fact that you've, you've, you've had these kind of three memories that, that don't belong to you. Um, and the fact that you're kind of willing to kind of look into the idea of past lives. And I know many people and myself included, I've done past life regressions cause I'm just fascinated to see what it's all about. Um, but it, it's, it's, it kind of opens up your, your writing world so much more, doesn't it? Because it's real. It can be real, more real to you because you're asking these questions from a personal place, not just a kind of a, an interesting concept. Yeah. It, it gives me like, I'm not going to say it gives me an, a completely open window into that, but it, it gives me like a little crack in a window that I could, that I think I can see through from my own experience that allows me to, to explore sort of the existential questions of well, what would it be like if I remembered others you know, am I the same person as the last two people that I remember, or am I a new person that's remembering these legacy personalities? Um, and then you're right. It, it, this actually becomes in, in a way really super fun to write because I get to develop these characters over multiple lifetimes and they can interact uh, now in modern day Zurich, which is where the book is based, but they could also be interacting as uh, cohorts 
on a, on a conquistador mission in, 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 in the rural Southwest United States. They could be participants in World War I together. So it gives me a really longer timeline to explore and develop these characters, which is a lot of fun. This is probably one of the reasons why, you know, authors like writing vampire fiction, right? Because you can have these guys live and be around for a long time and have a ton of experience that you can collect and then use uh, for their characters. This um, talking about having lots of fun with them. You've got a traditional book deal off the back of this, and there's a sequel on the way. There is a sequel on the way. The sequel is um, where did I have this? I've got it right here. I'm working on draft six number now, right now, and uh, so it's right here um, in uh, in manuscript format. It should be out sometime in, um, it'll, it'll go to beta readers in a couple of weeks. I'm putting some finishing touches on it now. And I'll take it to my agent and to my publisher shortly after that. Could come out optimistically late 2021, probably more realistically 2022. And is there a reward on the front cover of this one? Or? <laughs> you know what, there, there is a reward on the on the cover of the international edition today and i'll tell you why it's because uh mark stays right i did get a traditional publishing deal on the back of this uh reward effort that landed with rafi and then with john zalzerny and then paramount but the book deal is only for english language rights in u.s and canada so I am opening up the reward again. It's well, it's it's open now, and I actually have a lead for Korea, and I actually have a lead for Hungary. For any readers that can introduce me to a foreign language publisher that can help get the reincarnationist papers published in translation, Fantastic. and I'll pay ten percent of whatever advance I get to that reader who makes that introduction where, you know, the Hungarian publisher picks it up and translates and prints it in Hungarian or a publisher picks it up in German or Spanish or Japanese. That's a genius idea. It's such a genius idea. And it is one of the ways that authors and publishers make money that doesn't get, everyone gets fixated on the advance. Everyone gets so fixated, oh, a big advance or whatever, or sell the movie rights or you know maybe royalties but actually translation rights they're real they're real bread and butter and if you can get a few of those deals under your belt then uh, you're off to the races so good luck with that and if anyone out there is listening uh, you Literally. know get in touch absolutely yeah <laughs> ericmycrans.com there's a reward <laughs> section on the on the page there and you can email me from there with your lead on uh, on a foreign on a foreign publisher that you know that uh, where you would like to see the reincarnationist papers and translation of that language. Brilliant stuff, Eric. Before we finish up, I just wanted to to ask you a bit about the visualization side of things because there's something we've talked about. And we've talked about it kind of a, it's a kind of an underlying thread throughout the podcast actually. But we do this thing with with um, with our listeners where we ask them to submit their dream declaration. You know, what would they like to happen with the book? And in, in essence, that is a form of kind of getting them to visualize about the success that they'd like to see happen. Uh, in terms of your own kind of experiences with that, obviously this is this is an incredible example of where you you kind of imagined something and you almost played the movie in your head before the movie happened. Have you have you experienced this in other areas of your life as well? Is this because often I find people have this thread where they can point to kind of flashpoint moments where things just suddenly come together. Uh, absolutely, and this is this is actually one of the most common things that I do. 
Um, I, I, I visualize, I try to do it every day. Uh, and I try to do it usually like at night when I'm laying down to go to bed. Uh, sometimes I'll do it in the morning if I wake up, but before I get out of bed. And I use a series of techniques from, um, uh, it's, it's actually an, an older resource, a gentleman by the name of Neville Goddard. Uh, and he, uh, you're nodding your head. Yeah. <laughs> or, no. Um, you know, he's, his, his basically his, his major thesis in this is that feeling is the secret you need to, you need to just not just visualize it, but feel what it's going to be like. So for me, when I visualize the, when I visualize this being made into a movie, I visualized what it would be like to take the phone call that I got from John Zalzierny that they just sold it to Paramount. So I actually practiced what feeling that would be like when I said, oh, I should just hang up on this conference call and walk right out of this building right now. I also practice, and I, you know, this is still pending, I practice what it's going to feel like underfoot to step on that red carpet at a movie premiere of Infinite, right? When I can, when I can go on you know, to, to the premiere and see all the folks that I saw when the movie was being filmed. Uh, you know, what's it going to feel like when I get that German translation deal, Mark's Day, right? What is that going to feel like? So I practice that all the time. And this is actually critical. And I've used this in many different parts of my life other than just the writing and, and, uh, and, and working on getting the book made into a movie. So, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely 100% aligned with you on that, Mark. Fantastic. That's brilliant. And I, I won't even ask the question what you visualized beyond the success of the movie, but I can imagine there's a few things. <laughs> yeah, there's, the wings. yeah, there's a never ending list, right? Brilliant. You know, it's the second book, you know, having the second book be well received, you know, uh, maybe hitting a, you know, a bestseller list and having that status. But, you know, we'll see. There's a lot of work between here and there. Uh, but those are the things that 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 I envision for myself and that I, you know, that I try to work toward manifesting those things and making those things real. Brilliant stuff. Well, Eric, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And we we just like to wish you every success with the with the film, um, the continuing journey of this adventure that you're on. And uh, and I, for one, can't wait to see the the movie of how the book became a film because <laughs> i think <laughs> that needs to be written yes fade in nepal <laughs> exactly brilliant exactly. stuff well thank you so much eric and uh it'd be great to have you back on the show to hear the kind of part two of of this story absolutely thanks mark thanks mark it's been a real pleasure to spend uh you know uh spend this time with you guys and thanks everybody in the bestseller experiment for listening thanks so much eric take care Absolutely bloody brilliant. <laughs> Nepal. Now, the thing is, I can understand if he'd gone to LA right, and, and gone round, to, left a copy of the book in, in, in the reception area of every therapist in Hollywood, because that's where yes. they all go. You know, yeah, actually, I can totally understand. Idea. But Nepal, I mean, it's just fantastic. I love it. You know, and when he started talking about that, I, I, I've not been to Nepal, but I have been that backpacker. I backpacked around the world when I was 21 and I've been in those hostels and I've seen those bookshelves and they're awesome. It's like, you know, random, like mad, mad book exchanger because people are from all around the world. You know, there's, it's like a completely international library of, of stuff that you may never have seen, but my goodness me, I mean, this, this kind of story is the kind of thing that makes me want to punch the air. I think it's just such 
I mean, talk about cojones, right? I mean, oh. <laughs> even come up with the idea yeah. and then and then go and, and then go, which most people do, no, that's bonkers. Don't even be so ridiculous. Don't don't print it in the front of your book, for goodness sake. Like it's just gonna, <laughs> people are gonna laugh. But to actually then go and print it and then for it to happen, I think I think Eric. Uh, absolutely oh, brilliant we, we salute you deserve you, every yeah. yeah every success that comes from this you deserve it because this is the kind of bonkers stuff that i i love absolutely love oh yeah yeah, yeah. i mean the thing is it, it's a brilliant idea but it could have gone horribly horribly wrong i mean uh, hollywood is is a predatory place you know it, it yeah. they're writers just starting out you know people will take advantage of them it's it's a place where people are exploited all the time i mean obviously eric is not some naive ingenue he's he's taking this from the the world of software but it's a town that that gobbles people up but um and he hinted that he did have a few people who you know clearly didn't know what they were doing get in touch and say oh yes i could get this option for you but with raffi you know the this this exec that he met he who found it in Nepal. I still can't get over <laughs> that. Um, Rafi is you know definitely legit, um, but even so, it still took them from the book being discovered to twenty twenty one. That's eleven years. Yeah, now that's that's the bit that's as almost as big a story, isn't it? Because yeah. that's a story about perseverance. It's a, like even just in last week's episode, we were talking about the roller coaster of Hollywood, the ups yeah. and downs. One minute green light, the next minute like roadblocks or you know cars broken down or whatever. It's it's the perseverance and the faith and the belief that this would happen. Um, which I think is all—it is as incredible as as the way the book was discovered and the idea that Eric had to get it discovered. I think all three of those combined to create what is now—I mean, who knows? This the movie's not out. You know, at time of recording, we're we're recording this in April. Um, the the movie's not out for another five months yet. But if this if this movie is a blockbuster smash, if it's one of those like you know multi hundred million dollar movies. Um, and obviously off the back of that, Eric's, Eric's book will, 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 will shift units. And also, you know, the dream of the dream, what comes beyond this? Like, you know, then the next stage for Eric, what's, what's the next, the next thing that he does? Uh, it's all just, it's as fantastical as a brilliant Hollywood movie, isn't it? It really yeah. is. Yeah. Uh, so let's I talk. I love it. I love that, it. That's let's, the, let's go on, dive in. Cause you were talking, you were going to talk about, um, Something called a blacklist that I'd never heard of, mm. actually. Yeah, this the is the first time that came up. Well, it's been going for, I think, since 2005. And every sort of Christmas, uh, they, the blacklist releases a list, an annual list, a survey, and they talk to execs all over Hollywood and say, what are the screenplays that you love that haven't been made yet? The unproduced screenplays of, of that year. And there's an, as a, they, all the execs kind of vote and then they get a top 10 or whatever. And in the past, though, some of those films which have gone on to be made, uh, there's films like Juno, uh, The King's Speech, Argo, oh, wow. Ben Affleck film, you know, so they've, they've gone to be massive films and, and they're, they're all a little bit left field. They're all, you know, they're yeah. not Marvel. These aren't Marvel movies. These aren't superhero <laughs> movies. These are, you know, something that's just a little bit different that can't quite fit into a slot. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's original screenwriting. But there's that's that's that blacklist. But there's also, they offer a service which I've used. So you can, any screenwriter in the world, and, and you don't have to have a credit, um, can register with them. And for a fee, you can put your script up there for execs to read. And uh, for a slightly bigger fee, 
you can get someone to read it and give you what they call coverage, which is sort of edit what we, if you're a novelist, would be editorial feedback. Normally, I'd run a hundred miles for anything like that that charges money, but the blacklist is the only one that is really legit. And um, I I did it with a script I did a few years ago with a co-writer. We put it up there. We got some terrific feedback, and we use that when pitching to people. Now the film never got made yet. Yet, yes, um, thank you. But, you thank know, you. It's, uh, it, it, the new it, mark stay. It helped us. <laughs> <laughs> it helped us. You know, it, it got me some meetings and blah 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 blah. So yeah. you know, it's yeah. um, it's an if you're a screenwriter, it's definitely worth looking into the blacklist. I'll put a I'll put a a link in the screen in uh, in the screen notes in the <laughs> in, 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 in the in the screenplay. In the we'll in put the it screen. in the screenplay. Which, if if you know someone, if you know someone in Hollywood. That can pitch this screenplay of this episode of the podcast to Hollywood. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? But the that other is. thing that I love, the other thing that I love, Mark, about, I mean, yeah, I, I, I got to this moment where like, okay, Eric's my tribe. This, I, I love Eric. He's, he's totally all in on this. Start talking about visualization, and um, I make no bones about where I come from in this world. I, I love that kind of stuff. It's what I did. Uh, do I mention it? I actually visualized playing Glastonbury before all that happened. So I firmly believe that there is a very powerful thing that happens. But I love the fact that he visualized, he really went into details. I actually coach a lot of this visualization. Um, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's not even, a, it's a whole series of a podcast. But the general idea is, is if you can really start to imagine the movie in your head and be in like as if you're the cameraman um, filming the movie and imagining that red carpet or looking out of your own eyes and imagining what it'd be like to walk down that red carpet, to go into the cinema, to take your seat for the opening credits of your Hollywood movie to come on. That's where the real power of this technique comes. And although it's steeped in what a lot of people would say, oh, it's all kind of like spiritual, kind of like weird stuff that people, some people don't buy into. But actually the place I learned it was when I was in my teens and I was, um, I was actually a, a, a pretty good athlete when I was younger and I got to like the national UK um, finals for like long jump and, and triple jump. And I was in a training group and there were six of us. And one of the guys in the training group was the silver medalist of the high jump in the Olympics, Dalton Grant. And wow. I was in this incredible group and my coach was an Olympic coach. He went with Dalton to all of the, um, to all of the Olympic games. And he taught me about visualization. I mean, this is an Olympic coat. It wasn't any like, right, let's all sit down with joysticks and cross our legs and meditate. <laughs> this was like, you want to be an Olympic champion, you need to learn how to visualize. And everyone's seen it. Everyone's seen that lineup of the 100 meters, the Olympic 100 meters. And you and they stay, you know, they, they're announcing each one of the runs, Usain Bolt, et cetera, et cetera. But you look at some of them and you look in their eyes and what they're doing is they're actually running the race. The race yeah. Now, it really works well for 100 meters. It's a bit of a shag for the marathon. <laughs> you can't, you're not going to win the marathon. You have to turn up bloody early if you're going to visualize the marathon from start to finish. But the 100 meters is a great example of how you can just you literally see yourself and you imagine how you're going to you imagine yourself winning the race and the powers and it does something physiologically the brain it prepares the brain to then do the thing that you want to achieve and i'm thinking why can't this be used in in writing a book well, I know you and many of the listeners will be expecting me to say what a load of old toot and woo woo, but I do this too. 
Hey! And, and, and I've 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 never had a name for it, but I've uh, I've I I do think about stepping on the red carpet, stepping yeah. in, 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 into the premiere, uh, going on set. I mean, we, I mean, people in interviews, you know, and I've been interviewed many times, and we've inter- and we've done this. We've said to people, "Oh, I bet you can't have imagined what that moment was like." And I've had to stop myself going, "Yeah, actually, I could," because it sounds really arrogant. It sounds, but actually, yeah, no, I I did because when um uh, when we we did pickups at Pinewood Studios for Robot Overlords, and it was a wonderful pinch me moment. I'm standing on a soundstage on. Pinewood Studios, and they're shooting my film. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but there was a part, and I was with with our friend Jeremy because he was shooting the behind the scenes stuff, and we'd been writing since we were teenagers, you know. And um, I said to him, "What would our teenage selves think of this?" And I said, "What took you so long?" Because I've been having that dream. I've been visualizing being on a set with a blue screen, being on a set with a science fiction props and actors and Babe Kingsley and Gillian Anderson. You know, I've been visualizing those kind of moments. Dream I mean, for me it's daydreaming, but it's I daydreaming. Can, that's that's the yeah. word, yeah, daydreaming. But yeah. I can see it. I can see it and you can smell it and you get textures and you kind of think, yeah, I can I can see this happen. I can imagine going into a bookshop and talking to people about my book. I can imagine having lunch with a publisher or an agent and, you know, you have to know what they, and I've, you know, because growing up, I read the Close Encounters diary, the Jaws log, you know, all of those books about making of movies. As soon as I realized when I was a kid, there was someone called George Lucas who made Star Wars. It didn't just appear on the screen. People sat down and wrote these things and gathered together and made these movies. I thought, Oh, maybe I could do that, you know. And it seemed—it mm. seemed like I, I talked about this in the last episode. My parents were cleaners. I didn't know any. I might have well have wanted to join NASA and go to Mars, you know. So for all for all the uh, reality of it, but I thought but, it was—it was little things. You start to realize these are real people. My uncle, who had a store in the East Lane in in uh, Woolwich, he knew a stuntman called Nosha Powell, who also was an actor as well. And he's one of those guys you see and you know him. Yeah, he's brilliant. And it's like- Nosha. Nosha Powell. And and my uncle said, oh yeah, he was was one of the stormtroopers in Star Wars. So suddenly you've got one degree closer to that dream. It's like, okay, so my uncle knows someone who was in that film. So suddenly it's not a dream anymore. It's kind of, I know someone who knows someone. You know, so if you're listening to this podcast here and you're thinking, I don't know anyone in the movies, you know me, you now know me and you know where to get me and you can drop me a line and I can give you advice and, you know, we can chat or whatever, you know, so it's, it's that thing Love of gates. open, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> but no, I mean, that's what it's about though. Cause people have done yeah. that for you and it's paying it forward, isn't it? Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. You know, it's, it. it's such an important thing. I mean, there's a couple of things here. I, I, I coach on visualization in in the academy this is something this is something you're interested in you want to go deeper this is all about the inner game of writing this is where we take things to a completely different level and really you're right mark it is it's daydreaming on one level and we are amazing at that as children i mean who didn't sit in class and daydream all day long really i mean we imagined as kids we could imagine ourselves being astronauts we could imagine ourselves doing the most incredible things that kind of gets knocked out of us as we as we start to get kind of ground down by the mortgages of life and i think what's so important that you know we remember that as writers 
if we want to be great writers, we have to visualize a great story. It starts actually in your story. It, you can't, you, you don't create a character just it doesn't just show up and it happens and you go, oh, where did he? You have to imagine him first or her. You have to imagine who they are. You're imagining it. Even if it's a split second before you write their name down on paper, you have to think of it before you write it. Sometimes we think it's like instantaneous. Well, there's always a millisecond even. But the point is, is that we visualize our stories. So why can't we visualize our success as an author? Why should we not allow ourselves that that magic that we put into our characters and allow that magic into our own life for some reason we have this kind of sense that we have to we have to keep it all on the page but we're not allowed any of that but i know i know and i speak from the heart here every single thing that's, that's amazing that's happened in my life and i've seen happen in other people's life was something that they visualized prior to it and there's a there's a scientific reason, which is around the idea of oh, I could go really deep into this. I won't because that's the point of the academy. <laughs> Come into the academy, but but it's linked to crazily enough, it's linked to fire drills at school. It's linked to muscle memory. It's linked to this the most important thing, which is unless you can first imagine it, you can't create it. Everything in this world that we look at, my 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 mouse of my computer, you know, this pencil I'm holding, this microphone I'm speaking into was first an idea in somebody's mind. They had to first imagine the concept. So if you want to have a Hollywood movie, you first got to dream about it, to even allow it into your lottery of life, things that could happen. And this stuff is just fuel to my fire. I love it because when people get it, I mean, it's so great to hear your backstory as well, Mark, in this, but when people finally get it, um, it, it opens up a whole, like a world, like the universe is open to you instead of just the world. It's like huge. It's like, it is that point where anything is possible. If you're willing to believe it and dream it, then it could happen. But I'll tell you the reverse is also true. If you don't believe it, it's a guarantee. I will give you a guaranteed slip of paper saying this will never happen in your life. If you really 100% believe it will never happen, in most, most, most cases it won't. And the reverse is obviously true as well. So yeah, it's lovely. And for Eric to have done this, it's, it's just another another proof in the pudding really, isn't it? Absolutely. As, as the poet said, don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling. Streetlight people, <laughs> don't stop believing. Street-like yeah. people, yeah, yeah, and 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 yeah, never a truer word written. Uh, <laughs> Journey rocks, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And um, yeah, I mean, we could keep going, but we won't because there's so much more to to, to unpack. But I'm looking forward to getting Eric back on the show after the movie comes out um, to to just kind of hear hear part two because it's going to be, I think it's going to be a blockbuster. Um, but let's dive this. Oh man, there's so much. I mean, we could talk about Neville Goddard. Um, uh, just for people's reference, if you want to learn a bit more about who Neville Goddard is, he's he's actually kind of known as just Neville. There's uh, as an author, he's kind of a mystic. What from Harry Potter? Um, yeah, <laughs> exactly right. But there's some. He, he's he Neville was was not like a mainstream kind of. Um, philosopher and mystic like a lot of you know through the ages there's a lot of people like Rumi and um people who, who've kind of become mainstream fodder if you like for for people like me that love and read this stuff but if you want to look deeper into Neville he's he's a highly respected um uh 
philosopher and kind of author in this space um, passed away the year I was born. But the stuff that he taught is very much, it's very relevant. You could be his reincarnation. That could be one of your past lives. That could have been it. (laughs) Who knows? knows? I love it. (laughs) Brilliant stuff. So let's talk a bit about some of the good news stories from this week. And this week we're going to focus... Um, on some of the successes in the academy, because we have um, the, one of the things that we we really focus on is, uh, like we ask people to do on the show, it's a prerequisite when you come into the academy. You've got to you've got to create a dream declaration. You've got to share it with all your academies. But the thing is, everyone else has to do one. So it's not like you're going to like sticking yourself out there and going, oh, feeling that everyone's got to do it. And it's a great celebration and people crossing this threshold and saying out loud what they want to achieve. Um, and what we've noticed, which is really interesting, is when, when people first come into the academy, one of the very first things they have to do is they have to create their dream declaration, which is a declaration of what they want to do and by when, by what time they want to do it. And that's crucial. They want to write a book and they have to specifically put a date down. Um, and then we also ask them how they're going to celebrate. And we have had mm-hmm. some of the most unbelievably amazing <laughs> celebrations. I'm going to give you a couple of them. One that often comes up is a steak dinner. That seems to be like a big, decent thoroughfare. Yeah, let's go, we, middle of the road, let's have a steak dinner, celebrate. But we've also had somebody who's going to adopt a puppy. Oh, isn't that awesome? They, they, so what an incentive to finish your book. Yeah. What a, an incentive to finish your book. And it's like a rescue the, puppy as well, isn't it? So it's, it's a rescue it's, puppy, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, but the best one, and we won't mention names because, no, no. you know, Academy, there's, you know, but the best one is somebody who's going to paraglide <laughs> and they've invited their wife to join them. <laughs> and so, so if ever, if ever your partner is banging on at you about, oh, you know, this book writing malarkey, flip it and say, okay, I'll do you a deal. I'll do you a deal. If I finish my book by this date, will you skydive with me or will you parachute do a parachute jump or something utterly bonkers we'll do a dual bungee jump but bring them in on it because honestly they will never bug you again (laughs) and ask you how your book's going and why haven't you finished it if they know what's going to happen conversely if they don't want to bungee jump they might be pouring tea or coffee all over your laptop so you know choose your treat carefully <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> but i i love i absolutely love the inventiveness of these celebrations and it's a kind of a new thing like we haven't really talked about this much on the podcast about it. like we've asked people for their dream declarations but we want to extend it like well, how how will you celebrate when you finish your book because often yeah. it's the it's the incentive that we put at the end of the end of the race that gets us to the end, gets us through that slog of having to write every day and showing up every day. I'm very bad at it. I'm very bad at celebrating. I need to get better at it. And, and for me, the idea of the steak meal, that is right up my alley. So, um, you know, that's probably... Steak meal. Oh, I'll tell you another one. Uh, people, people often pick like a real vintage wine or a vintage whiskey mm, or a brandy. Or whiskey or something. Something. Yeah, yeah. Some people have actually said as well that they're going to go and do a road trip yeah across, lots of trips across away. the country yeah. lots of yeah. trips away and here's another okay let's flip the bungee one because that's a bit cruel the other one that they're doing is they're treating their partner to a weekend away and i love that because let's be honest we know that writing can be very solitary and we have 
amazing partners who kind of support us through that in many cases. And even if they don't, they put up with it. And, and even that's a godsend, right? The fact that they're just not grumbling too much about it. And, and it's about, it's not just about you finishing your book. It's also about saying thank you to your loved one who has supported you um, and just been alongside you in that journey and, and doing something for them or you together, because maybe you haven't had as much time as you'd liked. So I love that. So everyone who's done that brilliant idea, but I want you to think about that as well. Like what, what might you do to celebrate? In fact, go on, Mark, I think you're about I'm just going to call Claire, do you fancy a dirty weekend in the middle of June? <laughs> She'll come in in a minute. She's going to pop her head around. <laughs> That's brilliant. The other one that I thought was, and this is beautiful. This is one of the most heartwarming ones. It was um, taking away their dad for a weekend because it was their dad that got them into writing when they were a kid. Isn't that beautiful? That's like lovely. thanking the person who inspired you to believe that you could be that writer. Um so for some people, that might be a school teacher that you haven't connected with for 10 years. What might you do for that school teacher? What might you send them as a thank you or a letter that you write to them? Maybe that's the gift that you give them and the thing that you do when you finish your book or send and them if, a copy of it. If George Lucas wants a weekend away with me at the Skywalker Ranch, I'm going to visualise that now. Um, I'm, Absolutely. I'm up for that. I'm up for that, George. Let's <laughs> just putting it, it out there. Yeah. You just, you just, <laughs> just, you just, you just have more. You just put it out into the universe. I love it. Um, <laughs> some of the other wins, and again, this is not just about when we win the Academy, we talk about big wins and small wins. This is not just about the real big headline moments yeah. for people because it's the small wins that collectively make the big wins. So we have small wins such as, um, um, you know, academates who get back into writing after a month off the wagon, right? I mean, that's okay, but the, yeah. it's a win that you get back on. Um, it's a win if you hit certain milestones in your novel. It's not all about just getting to the end, although you know that's the ultimate destination, but it, finishing your first page, finishing your first chapter, writing your first line of your book, huge. I mean, it's suddenly real. You brought this into, a, into this the is, world. If this is your first time in the game, if this is the first book that you're writing, all of these you know, you've got to celebrate each and every one of these. Yeah. And each one is, we talk about the roadmap in the academy. This is yes. what it's all about. It's getting it you is. to, you know, down the Yellow Brick Road, down to Oz yeah. and finishing. First drafts, second drafts, yeah. you know, one one academy, uh, one academy launched their website today. Massive. That's that moment where you, oh my gosh, I'm actually an author. Another one that I said in the coaching recently, Marcus, I said to people, next time you fill out one of those forms and it asks you for your occupation, I dare you to write the words author. And I tell you, so many people have done it. And so many people like literally went, I did it. And I can't, and it, I can't believe I did it, but man, it feels different. Now that I've said that out loud, that I've written on a, or I said to a friend when they say, well, you meet someone, what do you do for a living? Actually, I, I write, I'm an author. Even if you haven't got a book out, I'm an author. You're stepping into that world and declaring that's what you want to be. So if you love this kind of stuff, if you want to get more of this, this is what we do in the Academy. Not and it's it's not just the inner gamer music, the stuff that I coach. It's about the craft, which is what Mark coaches. So you get the combination of those two things that we believe are the most important things to be to be working on as an author. So academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. We're getting closer to a new launch. Get your application in now. Get on the waiting list. It's first come, first serve, folks. And we we do sell out. We sold out twice before. So really do make make that commitment today if you want to do this get on board it's it's the most incredible place and you'll love it
Absolutely. Do it, folks. Do it. It's, uh, oh. so, so get in touch with us. Get in touch. Pop along to bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact us tab there. You can drop us a line via email. We read them all. We get back to you. Uh, find us on social media. We're Bestseller Experiment on Facebook and on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Bestseller XP. Excellent stuff. And thank you to everyone who listens to this show. And welcome if you are a new first-time listener. We get new listeners every show. Um, thank you for showing up and uh, we hope you go back and maybe binge listen like many of our listeners do. Go back to episode one and, and start listening and listen to that crazy ride of that first year. Um, and thank you for making this podcast possible. It's the reason Mark and I show up each time. So um, keep writing, keep living the dream and most importantly, Mark, visualize how it's all going to pan out for you because it works yep. and thank you to eric as well for, for for again another incredible dose of inspiration for all of us here so it's a goodbye from mark one and a goodbye from mark two <laughs> goodbye, goodbye.